Welcome back, dear listeners, to Fright or Flight, the podcast where we rank, recap, and review every horror movie in a given franchise. I'm Jumpscare Jarrett, the Fright of the Podcast. And I'm Frankie, I'm the Flight of the Podcast. And it's me, Bailey, your producer. Yeah. Super producer Bailey. Super producer. I don't know about that. Also one of the hosts of some of our sister podcasts. That's true. I host Bookish and the Beast and some future podcasts that are going to be coming out later on, maybe 2024. We'll see. But this time, you know, you're usually behind the scenes. We've had you on on another show before. Why are you here doing this one this time? Right. Previously, I was here for the Haunted Mansion episode because I love Disney's Haunted Mansion. So what gives you the credentials to do Five Nights at Freddy's? It's a special interest of mine. I really love Five Nights at Freddy's and I always have since it came out. Me and you have been watching videos about the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's for like yeah. dang near a decade. Like almost ever, since the game came out. Yeah, ever since Matt and Pat started covering it on Game Theory. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very excited. I had a really fun time with the movie. What did you guys think about it? I had a blast. Like it, if I was talking to you about it earlier where I feel like this is a movie from a fandom and it's made it to the big screen. Yeah. So like if you guys are like, if you guys have seen the MatPat videos, if you followed Markiplier, play all the video games, if you're just a FNAF fan, I I think this movie was made with you in mind. Oh, absolutely. It's made yeah. for the fans. 100%. I, I also really enjoyed it. I thought it was after playing, the only game that I have played is the first game. I haven't fully finished it because I got to the fifth night and didn't beat it. It's hard. <laughs> um, it, it is. Hard. It does. Get, it's scary. It's scary. And the jump scares, they really get me. Even though my name is Jump Scare Jared, doesn't mean I don't get scared. Um, fun game though and fun movie it all really encompassed everything that I would expect Um, but I don't know the lore so I had a great time with it that's awesome I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it even though that you didn't know the lore beforehand because I think a lot of people were expecting this movie to not make any sense to them if they didn't understand the lore yeah I I do think it it is like like you said it is for the fans Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of things in there for you Uh, if you have kept up with the franchise it definitely it Cater? pays off. Yeah, it pays off. It caters to the fans. Hardcore. But it's still a really fun movie to watch, even if you're not familiar with the video game franchise. So I had a lot of fun. It was very fulfilling. It's doing a lot of money. Oh, yeah. It's making bucks. And it's it's big deal, too, because, like, you know, we're in a field right now where not every movie makes a crap ton of money. And this is a film that comes out, like, day and date on streaming. Yep. So, despite it already being on Peacock, people still showed up and are breaking records at the box office. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, before we start talking about the box office in detail, I wanted to actually go back a few years and start talking about the initial production of the movie and how that went down. Because, I don't know if you guys know, but this movie has been in production for almost forever. And fans have been waiting for it. And... I don't know how many of the newer people coming in and watching the movie are aware of that. I did not know that, but that makes it even more special to the fans, I'm sure. Yes. So let's go back 10 years to August of 2014. Man. And that is when the first game came out. The original Five Nights at Freddy's game came out and blew up in popularity, as we all know. Less than one year later from when the game was released... It was announced by Warner Brothers that they were going to produce a movie for it. So that's 2015, April 2015. So like I said, not even a year. Yeah, almost a decade ago. Almost a decade ago. So there was some radio silence after that initial announcement from Warner Brothers. 
Um, and it wasn't until January of 2017 that Scott Cawthon, the creator of Five Nights at Freddy's, actually made a statement and he said that they're going back to square one. Essentially, he scrapped the entire project. And from what we can tell from some of the quotes of him about this whole production predicament, he wasn't a fan of the screenplays that they were coming up with. It just didn't match up with his idea of the story and the characters and the lore. And he wanted to be much more upfront center in control about what they were going to produce as a movie. So in May 2017, the project was actually taken over by Blumhouse Productions, who made the movie for us. Paid off, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. And in February 2018, Chris Columbus was announced to be the new director of the, of the film. So Chris Columbus is very well known. He directed Gremlins, which Ooh. is a similar, you know, sort of like family-friendly horror movie kind of a vibe. He also did Home Alone and the first two Harry Potter movies. So Chris Columbus is definitely a very popular and well-loved director. Scott Cawthon wrote a new script in 2018 along with Kira Breed-Risley. And Kira Breed-Risley actually co-wrote the Five Nights at Freddy's novel series, The um, Silver Eyes, Fourth Closet, and The Fast Bear Frights, I believe. Um, she's helped co-write all of those, so they wrote a new script together. However, in November, that same year, 2018, they scrapped it again. Good gosh. Yeah. An indecisive man, I can tell. Yes, very. So it's it's weird because he comes out with these games like almost once a year yeah. for this time period, but... It's like he just kept scrapping and scrapping yeah. and scrapping these scripts. And he's one of those video game developers, right? That's like like the people who made, um, not RuneScape, Sand. Oh, Undertale. Yeah, he's one, like Undertale, Stardew Valley, one of these like auteurs. There's just one person makes this whole big thing. Yeah, yeah, he is. He He's like the single creator of Five Nights at Freddy's pretty much. So he wanted a lot of ownership. And I think also there was a lot of pressure to make something that was fulfilling for the fans. I think they did a good job. But, you know, it, it, it was hard because notoriously Five Nights at Freddy's, the lore does not make sense. It is all over the place. It's a bunch of spaghetti timelines. Nothing really matches up. Yeah. So that's part of the fun of the lore, trying, trying to, to figure, figure it, it out. out. Yeah. That, also, that's really funny because I was asking Patrick, like, hey, like, so what did you think of the movie? And he goes, so after we watched the movie, I came home and I watched a video explaining the lore. And he's like, I'm not going to lie. That lore does not make any damn sense. No. And I was like, no. what do you mean? It doesn't. And he, but I haven't watched anything about it, so I'm just like taking it. So there's his, a the, video the There's a video that I can recommend to you. I don't know if you want to watch it. It says a very short explanation of FNAF lore. And it was like eight hours and 47 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Short. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, me and Bailey have been on this train for like a decade. Ever yeah. since Matt Pat on YouTube covered yeah. it. I don't he's, even know what's going on. He's had like <laughs> tens of videos. Like, uh, like oh, 60. Over 60. 60 videos. Mm -hmm. just, and it's just like him dissecting the video game. Because there's so much lore in the games between like posters hitting in the background. Or like if you take a screenshot and you raise all the brightness, <laughs> there'll be like a hidden numbers that lead you yeah. to something else. Yeah. There'll be like even on the on websites HTML code. Yeah, it's he'll ARG. Leave, he'll yeah. leave codes. Yeah. Like this is stuff that like it was wild for yeah, a while it was yeah. awesome I and it was it. super fun because like this guy and there's a whole community online and they're basically like sleuths mm -hmm. but for a video game yeah that is 
That's really cool, but like as somebody who I'm not mu- very much of a little details kind of person. I'm a big picture person. Yeah. So I take things at like face value. And I'm like, yeah, cool. I'm not gonna dissect everything, and I hate that I'm not. <laughs> I'm not more detail oriented yeah. because okay. this would not be a good franchise for me to like. Well, I guess well, I just watch Matt Pat's videos. Uh, yeah, so we don't dissect any of it. <laughs> no, we just like, watch other how? people. Yeah, explain. I let somebody else do it. <laughs> it's kind of like watching a Psalm movie every yeah. week. Yeah, like they tell us, like, look at all this stuff we figured yeah. out. Here's all these things. And yeah. I think his wife did it. I don't know, but so it, it's very interesting stuff. It's really fun. Um, I'm gonna circle back to our timeline. We ended in 2018, where Scott Cawthon ended up scrapping. This is the second script that was scrapped. And we, again, have radio silence throughout COVID-19. The epidemic started in 2020. Um, It's not until 2021 that it was announced that Chris Columbus had actually left the project. So this really awesome, beloved director leaves the project with Blumhouse, is not continuing to be part of it artistically in any way. So it's kind of a bummer. However, Jason Blum, who is the founder of Blumhouse, Uh, confirmed that the movie was still going to be worked on and that they were still going to come out with a product eventually. So in 21, Scott Cawthon allegedly wrote 10 different scripts before landing on the right one. Bro, this man stresses me out and I don't even know. (laughs) I'm jealous that he can write 10 scripts like that. Like, I I wish I could get that productivity. Sometimes I take way too long on one teeny tiny, like just a clip project. And I'm like... And this man's over here writing 10 movie scripts. I know, it's wild. And... Apparently, the script that he ended up defining as the the good script, the perfect script for the movie, and what we were delivered was the Mike script. Okay. The one that focuses on Mike. So, I wonder what the other scripts were about. I have no idea. Maybe I'm sure we'll there's see so some many of different it things. In but the future. Like, maybe, you know, maybe knowing this is... very brief history of this man, I'm assuming <laughs> we'll get all over the place yeah. in, oh, in yeah. the movies as oh, well yeah. as the video games. So. We'll definitely see. Oh, man. So... In October of 2022, Emma Tammy was announced to be the new director. Now, Emma Tammy, Emma Tammy is not quite as well known. Um, I'm not familiar with the movies that she has directed before. I'm sure somebody is. But I think she was actually a great pick. For I think this, she personally. did fantastic. She did a really good job. But also we love women directors. Yes, we love women directors, especially in the horror franchises. That's awesome. You yeah. don't see it often. She did a great job. She did. And then Emma Tammy also, along with Scott Cawthon and Seth Cudaback, wrote the final screenplay. So they all came together to finalize everything. And again, Emma Tammy was announced in October of 2022. The, the main cast was announced in December. So they were moving very quick. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Right? I, as soon as I saw that it was Josh, uh, Josh Hutchison... Because I grew up loving him. Right. Thura, you know, Bridget mm-hmm. Terbithia, all of these things. Oh, yeah. I was like, <sighs> my yeah. heart, I can't take <laughs> yeah. it. Because he's also, somebody had t- tweeted something really funny about it. And it was like, oh, like me trying to focus on the plot, but getting distracted by how beautiful Josh Hutchison is. And I was yeah. like, me too. Like, See, he's so beautiful. That's me, but with Matthew Lillard. I, I've same. always loved Matthew Lillard. Um, oh, my God. Especially when he was shaggy. Uh, I Because you like Shaggy just I love independently Shaggy. of I've Matthew Lillard. I've always loved Shaggy. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew Lillard but. is just a godsend. I love him. I would literally die. I'd probably cry if I met him. Me like, too. Yeah. He seems he's pretty sweet. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah. I, he's I, got his own whiskey now. He's coming out with it. I'll buy it just to buy it. <laughs> I'll have to try it. 
All right. So the main cast was announced in December of 2022. Filming began on February 1st, 2023 and concluded on April 3rd. So that took maybe two months and some change for them to get everything recorded. And then in the movie released in October, at the end of October. So that's a year. That's like director casted October. Cast, cast it in December. Two months later, filming starts. That's yeah. insane. It's insane. And it then, is. Because it only took February to April. Like, and the elaborate like quality that they did this movie and it's the really set. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like I'm things. Struck. I feel like everything just kind of fell into place. Once they got the right script and the right director, I yeah. feel like everything just, just kind of. Yeah. Which it makes just me excited because as somebody who enjoyed this film, I'm thinking, like, well, if they did that in a year. Mm-hmm. I know they right? can have another one popped out a year's time from exactly. now. Exactly, but I want them, I want them to take their time to make a good product. I don't want them to feel rushed again with That's more fair. scripts or anything like that. If they need to make script revisions, let them. In my opinion, so I'm really excited to see what they do in the future. If they do anything, I'm sure that they will, because when this movie released. The budget to make this movie was around $25 million, right? Which is not a lot for a movie, but it is a lot for a Blumhouse production, right? Um, How much was Saw when it was the budget for the first Saw movie? The first Saw was $4 million. $4 million, yeah. So compared to like that... There's a big increase. I don't know if we've had a Saw movie with that big of a budget. Exactly. So a lot of this budget went towards Jim Henson's Creature Shop, and we'll get to that later. But so it was $25 million to budget this movie. And just on Thursday and Friday, so release day and the preview release in the States, the box office hit $39.1 million. So they made their money back in one day, just in the States. Holy fucking shit. And then as of when we're recording the Sunday after the release, it's hit $78 million. Yeah. So that's the end of its opening weekend. And it's tripled its budget. It's tripled its budget. And this makes it the third biggest horror movie opening of all time following both It movies. And the biggest Halloween release for all films in theaters. Whew. Globally, it's made about $130 million just for opening weekend. That's three days plus previews. Gross. And it's already released on Peacock. It released on Peacock the same day that it released yeah. in theaters. So people didn't even have to come out to see it. They could watch it from home. Yeah. And people still decided to go out. Like I did. I would watch it again like a few times since yeah. I watched it in theaters because I, I enjoyed it that much. Me too. Much. Yeah. Like I also want my niece to watch it. So I would sit down yeah. and watch it with her and stuff. Yeah. So the movie is rated PG-13. That was kind of a, not problematic, but it was kind of an interesting decision for the fans because a lot of the fans were told, this is Scott Cawthon's fault, I will say. He tweeted forever ago that like, oh, we're not going to hold back with all the with all the gore and stuff. We're going to be serious about the horror elements and all that stuff. And people thought that he meant like, oh, it's going to be like NC-17, the rating for this movie. That's not true. It's PG-13. Um, it does have some real horror elements in my opinion but they made it friendly enough that their kid audience that are like i don't know 9 10 11 are going to be able to watch this movie and enjoy it and still get some scares but it's nothing that's going to keep them up at night hopefully i i respect that a lot personally just because i know that most of the fans that are into this got into it at a young age oh yeah so like i think it's important to stay friendly to to that demographic that is important to you there's a lot of creators in general that have made things that are like hey 
this was made for kids. It's always going to be for kids. And some people uh, brush against that just because they're adults now. Right. So they expect this thing to age with them. Right. And I've seen quite a few people that are really upset that there's not more blood and gore. But in my opinion, I agree with the director, Emma Tammy, who has been quoted saying that there was no real need to go a super gory route. In in all of the games, there's never a huge explicit amount of gore no. at all. There's only like pixels and that's about it. Maybe some pixelated blood every once in a while, but really... There's not any gore in the games. The whole horror element is all in the ambiance and in the jump scares and things like that. And that's what they wanted to do in this movie. And when they did have some scarier, gory moments, they wanted it to be a little bit more creative and fun. And I think that they really did a good job yeah, I agree. at doing that. That's really crazy because like I never knew this was catered or like geared towards like children. It it's wasn't a, initially. It's like the first one, right? Like this one yeah. came out and then it was like the Mascot secret neighbor horror. and then it was poppy playtime yeah. and it's all these things that this like kicked off yes exactly fnaf is basically the birth of mascot horror games um at least in the modern era yeah, all these right? indie games. initially the only reason that this video game series was even created scott Cawthon was making christian based video games <laughs> and one of his characters that was in the game so people kept commenting about how creepy it looked <laughs> and then he turned around and was like well i'm gonna make a really creepy game i guess yeah. and he just did that on a whim and it worked out for him and it just so happened that his fan base became a bunch of children That's um so, so he wasn't intending it to be for children but i think it's just the fact that it is horror games but the worst thing that can happen to you is like a silly little jump scare literally i mean you guys have played the games you've seen the jump yeah. scares that are like Ooh. so it's, yeah. it's very silly it is silly but i i guess in my brain because i play horror games a lot for funsies my brain and as an, as an adult i'm like oh this is just a horror game like not like mm -hmm. like so i don't know i just wasn't expecting to see so many like yeah. teens and children yeah. there. i mean when we go yeah. when we went to the theater it was it's filled packed. with a bunch of kids oh yeah it was packed it's, it it's was... mostly children that like these things and i blame youtube and their parents <laughs> not censoring yeah. the stuff that they watch but whatever of all things fnaf is not the worst thing that they could be no. watching no it's however not. have you ever played fnaf 4 the fourth game no, no. i've only played it's, the first one it's more terrifying it's the most terrifying game to me right. personally um, I want to play. We should definitely have like play yeah. more. Yeah. But they sell like little more. plushes of, oh, of yeah. uh, like GameStop. Yeah, yeah it, it's, and they sell out. They're yeah. popular. Yeah, so it's very very well loved. However, beloved. Yes, beloved. I'm gonna go to the reviews now because the reviews are out on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics rated it an average of 26 percent on Fuck Rotten the Tomatoes, critics, though, you which know? is awful. That's genuinely terrible. For context, the Scream movies, the originals, or the Scream movie that came out in 2022 uh, received a, I want to say it was around a 70% from critics, which is really high for a horror movie. And the original Scream, I think, had like a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, something along those lines. However, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes for the new FNAF movie is overwhelmingly positive it's got an 89 percent audience score on rotten tomatoes which is really high for context the same scream 2022 had only an 80 percent audience rating or an 82 percent in the original scream had an 80 percent audience rating so it's got a higher audience rating than both of those scream movies at the moment so i didn't check anything else that was just the first thing that i thought of interesting so which is so happy for me to hear 
that people yeah. are loving yeah. this movie. Yeah, audiences love it. I mean, my TikTok feed is all just people talking about the FNAF movie and how right. much they love it. One thing I hate is that people will take critics, like, ratings at value. And I'm like, that does not qualify anything yeah. because personally, like... Movies that are deemed shitty by critics, or mo- some of the movies that I hold near and dear to my yeah. heart, yeah, or even I the movies agree. that don't make it to the Oscars. Like I said, like horror movies are never really ever considered, yes. yeah, for those big exactly. awards. So I'm like, eh, whatever. I don't yeah. really. So go see it anyway, despite what the critics yeah, say. Yeah, go see it anyway. So it's, good. It's so good. It is amazing. The audience loves it. I think the reason that the critics dislike it so much is just because it is a little bit corny. It plays on some nostalgia factor, I think, for not just fans but also people who have gone to Chuck E. Cheese as a child when they had animatronics. Um, And the story, if I'm being honest, is a little wackadoodle. It is a little little silly. It doesn't necessarily... The story doesn't exactly wrap up all of its loose ends. It Mm. leaves a lot of things open. It doesn't answer... In my opinion, it leaves you asking more questions at the end than the questions that it answers at the beginning okay so it's nobody really knows what happens after the end of the movie why certain things happened or anything but that's very typical of a fnaf game so all of the fans were kind of expecting that for the movie but i will say technically as a script it's not the most clean right right i agree with you while i was watching the movie i was a little bit worried about like how is this going to come off to people who aren't familiar with the franchise Mm -hmm. Because uh, for a fan, I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with all the stuff, I don't know how well it lands. I know, Gerilyn, you know, you said that you quite enjoyed it. I did. So. And I think my boyfriend also said it was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I think he, it's very he enjoyable. Never, and he's not really ever watched anybody play it. He's never really watched me play it because he's a fake fan. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, this is not something that he would go out and see without me asking him to go with me. But right. he did, and he enjoyed it. So I think that he would probably be excited a little bit to see sequels and stuff. Yeah, okay. I think it's very palatable. It's very easy to get attached to the characters and the animatronics, of course. And it leaves me wanting to see more. Me so too. I think everybody else is going to feel that I way, too. I think one good thing about it, about it not tying everything up is that it does leave so much room for oh, sequels. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's Definitely. always... Because to me, that led up with... There's going to be more. And I was oh, like, yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. And it's such a smash hit in the box office right now. They'd be stupid not to make sequels. Mm-hmm. But luckily, Jason Blum and Emma Tammy both seem very enthused to make sequels in the future. Very but fun. But the very first thing that I want to talk about now is what I think the most important part of Five Nights at Freddy's, the animatronics. Hell yeah. They are the key to FNAF and its success in every way, in my opinion. Some would argue that the reason... The games that even became popular is because of that sense of nostalgia of seeing those animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz Pizza that terrify you because they're so uncanny and weird. But you also kind of like them. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about these two. So. I wasn't as fully terrified seeing them on the big screen as I am seeing them in the game. Me neither. And I think it's just because on the big screen they have so much personality, whereas in the mm-hmm. game they're mostly standing still and very ominously. So you get that a little bit in the movie, but they are kind of played up to be a little bit more, I don't know, affectionate or just something that you can really mm-hmm. latch on to, I think, as a mm-hmm. character. And I really like that. They add a lot of character to oh, the yeah. animatronics, but they're still spooky. They are, they are still spooky. Still spooky. Um, but if you want the real, real scary animatronics, you're going to have to get into the games for now. I think in the future, we're going to get gradually spookier and spookier as we go on. I think that's the intention. 
But the animatronics in this movie were made by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. So we all love Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Of course, we know them from The Muppets, but they also created The Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, and of course, The Muppets. I absolutely love Jim Henson. All these movies were like pivotal in my childhood. I love them. They also, interestingly enough, I don't know if you've ever watched this movie, but The Creature Shop was also a huge part of The Country Bears. Do you I remember did that watch movie? that movie. I love that movie. And I also you know love that movie. You know what's so funny about The Country Bears movie? It's based off of The Country Bear Jamboree in Disney World, which is an animatronic theme park attraction with a bunch right. of animatronic singing bears. I don't want to see that in person, though. I don't really <laughs> I don't no. really like animatronics IRL. They freak me out. I understand, but <laughs> I would love to see that. In real life, but I just thought it was so funny that technically, like 15, 16 years ago, the creature shop literally made singing animatronic bears that into is, a movie. That yeah. is so funny. This isn't the first rodeo. No, it's, it's not. It's a full circle. <laughs> so like, that, that was really fun. Dust it off. We're doing it again, boys. Like, and now I have a clip of Emma Tammy, the director, talking about working with Jim Henson's creature shop for this movie. And tell me about the process of working with the Jim Henson creature shop. And, and bringing these animatronics to life and what that was like on set. You know, the animatronics are like a whole other cast in our film. They really are. So we knew they needed the utmost amount of attention and no one is more equipped to have brought these creatures to life than Jim Henson's workshop. And we are so lucky to have them on board. Um, they are really masters at creating things that are both cuddly, weird, scary, and unique. And the animatronics needed to be all of those things. and. They were super psyched to to also be a part of the FNAF uh, world. So it, it was awesome. Yeah, Jim Henson's creations, like Elmo, quite weird himself. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, it's really so fun. fun. I love how she refers to them as cuddly, cute, weird, and scary, pretty yes. much. And I, I love that. That's exactly what they are. I would give them a hug, but they also scare me. And yeah. are possessed by dead uh, I saw a clip on TikTok of like, you know, the set and you see all all of them there and they would go up and hug the yeah. I've got the TikTok actually to show Jerilyn real quick. It's a clip from when Darko and a couple other YouTubers were able to tour the set um, and meet the animatronics one on one. Oh <laughs> so cute. I thought it was so cute. But that was actually my first viewing of the animatronics before I, we even got into the movie. And I was so impressed with how much emotion and movement that they got. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much you guys know, but there's actually multiple different versions of the animatronics. There's actual animatronic versions of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Foxy is always an animatronic because of his dilapidated state. So he's always an animatronic, but in that particular video and throughout all of the more major movement scenes, there's actually people inside of the costumes. I did know that. Yeah. Uh, I saw on the credits where it said puppeteers and I was like, I imagine they have to be in there to kind yeah. of. Yeah. I always thought that's bit. so cool. Like yeah. watching like the Muppets and watching like Big Bird. Like, yeah. Or Snuffleupagus. I think it's like several people yeah. controlling Snuffleupagus. Mm-hmm. And then uh, from what I can understand, there's people inside of the suits, but there's also other puppeteers that are helping with the animations of the face and the eyes That's and everything so like that. Cool. And it's so well done and it's so seamless. You can't tell any animatronic from another. Um, Foxy is the only one who's only an animatronic, like I said. So he was puppeteered by six different people at times. 
um, all at the same time yeah. to get his movement. You said that Patrick was confused about boxing? He was confused about why he looked the way that he did. I was like, I don't know. I guess it's because he's a pirate. So, so Foxy is the only animatronic who's been out of order. So that was the idea. Obviously, Freddy's Pizzeria has been defunct for probably a, about 20, 20-ish years now within the movie. However, mm. before it went defunct and closed, Foxy was already out of order. He had already had some errors, so that's supposed to look like that he was already kind of okay. falling apart. It makes um, sense. That whereas, makes some sense. Whereas the other main animatronics were kept together pretty well. So I think it's just a reference to... If you ever went to Showbiz Pizza or Chuck E. Cheese, the animatronics tend to have issues very often. Oh my God, yes. So he's one of those particular things. So where you guys, we just watched a video, you know, a bunch of people Mm -hmm. watching them and they gave them a hug. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys met these, would you you be welcoming to a hug? My heart would be racing (laughs) at an insane beat. I might have to take some CBD to be calm about it, (laughs) but I would probably do it. These ones in real life, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But if they were actually supposed to be like, if I'm in the Five Nights at Freddy's world and they are the Five Nights yeah. at Freddy's animatronics, no. No, no. no, they've got dead bodies inside right. of them. I don't yeah. want to hug that's them, my, dog. That's my biggest question. How did they not, they're like, oh, that's where he hid the kids. And I'm like, how did they not smell them? They did. It's, it's mentioned frequently how much they stank, actually. That's in the games if you find certain okay. things. It's mentioned that like, the police never searched there and never looked for the bodies inside of the animatronics. But after the missing children's incident, a lot of parents started complaining about the way that the animatronics smelled. So, yeah, it's it's grody. It's gross. That's but... so sad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is sad. Oh, that's so nasty, too. Yeah, yeah, it is. Imagine but just trying to have pizza and you're like, bro, why are you fucking stank in here? <laughs> yeah, so... There's even grosser things that happen later on in the series. I'm excited to see what they actually show. Now I need to uh, know. The scooping room, maybe? We'll see. But I wanted to ask both of you a question. I know that you've both played the original video game briefly, but how familiar were you guys with the animatronics before watching this movie? Like like the actual ones in the in the game and the, yeah. the movie itself? Yeah. I mean, I barely knew their names. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I think we, the last time we recently played it, where we played it for the podcast, um, you had mentioned their names, and I was like, oh, okay, and yeah. like, oh, I didn't know that Chica was always a girl. I was like, I don't know these things, but now I kind of knew that going in, and that was about the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, I, yeah. I've learned a bit over the past month. You know, I know that we got five of them, and we got Golden Freddy, Freddy, Bonnie, Chica, and Foxy. Right. Um, it also took me a while. I didn't know which one was which for a long time. And I didn't know like Chica's always in the kitchen, and I didn't know Bonnie yeah. was a robot. I thought I thought Bonnie a was a hippo. A robot. And that Chica. <laughs> Why would Bonnie be a hippo with giant rabbit ears? It looks like hippo ears to me. What? Have you ever seen hippo ears? Yeah. They're like super tiny. Hmm. Hmm. And I thought Chica was a. They're duck. literally like teeny tiny ears for hippos. I will say Chica does look like a duck though. Is she not a duck? Apparently not. Apparently she's a chicken. She's a chicken. That's interesting because I literally thought she was a duck. In my heart, she's still a a duck. A lot of people did think that she was a duck. My head cannon, she's a duck and then Bonnie's a hippo. But no, Scott Cawthon. Why a hippo? What? So you're okay okay with Chica being a duck, but you're not a... That stylistically looks... That looks like a duck. It's yellow, dude. And Bonnie stylistically... What colors are hippos? Gray. Blue. 
And so is Bonnie. Bonnie's, yeah. Hippo colored. Bonnie's yeah. blue. There yeah. is a there is a purple hippo much later in the game, and it's not very important. I do but, like that hippo. Yeah, you do like that hippo, and he looks completely different from Bonnie. Doesn't looks he? Looks just like Bonnie. No, he doesn't. I thought it was little Bonnie at oh first. Oh my god. Okay. Well, since I knew you guys <laughs> didn't know a lot about the animatronics, I went ahead and made a little bit of a profile section for each of them. Cool. So first. And foremost, we're going to talk about Freddy Fazbear. The name, the myth, the legend, and the lead singer of our group. He's the har, 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 har. Yeah, har, 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 har. Yeah. So is I was confused because I know that we, in the movie, we see Foxy running down and Foxy also makes sound as well. Yeah. I did not know that there was a difference. And I, I, I mm-hmm. was waiting on like the, I thought... I thought it was Freddy who made the like humming sound, the blub blub blub. No, I, I thought so. That that's was actually Freddy. Foxy. No, Foxy is the one that goes dum diddly dum 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 dum. That's Foxy. Okay. Freddy is the one that goes hor 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 in the I, background. I he just has little laughs that. and he goes hor 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 hor. Oh, so that's the one that's like huh, 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 yes, huh, yes. Huh. He's the one laughing in the background. Yeah. Ew! I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys can actually watch our gameplay. I think by the time this is up, maybe it'll be on Fright Risk. Yeah, so on our new wanna, channel, Fright Risk. So if you want to watch me and Geraldine play Five Nights at Freddy's, it'll be up there. Check it out on YouTube. Yeah. It's it's gonna be funny because we get scared a lot. Yeah, it, it, it's great. I had to help them a lot, of course. But so Freddy Fazbear is. The big one, like we said, the name of the business. He is the he and Foxy are the only animatronics that are present in every single game. Oh. Um, besides, technically Foxy is not in Security Breach, but Roxy is kind of taking his place. So that's eh, kind of a wiggle room there. The name Fazbear could be a reference to Fozzie Bear. Oh. Um, Fozzie, who was named after Faz Fazakas, the man who created the animatronic mechanism that allowed Fozzie to wiggle his ears. I just find that really interesting since technically Freddy was probably named after a Muppet by Jim Henson and his company and then was created in real life by Jim Henson's Creature Company. I thought that was a really nice full circle moment. Circle of life, baby. We love it. And then we have Bonnie the Bunny, who is the guitarist. Bonnie is frequently noted to be the most aggressive out of all of the animatronics due to him being the very first member of the band to start moving on night one. (laughs) That's so true. He does. Scott Cawthon, the creator himself, considered Bonnie to be one of the most, if not the most, scary animatronic in the entire series. I agree. Yeah. He stated that Bonnie gave him multiple nightmares during the development of the first game. And he said that one night he dreamt that Bonnie was in the hall outside of his bedroom. Ew. Which caused Scott to jump up from his bed and rush to hold the door shut. After finding that the door was locked, he believed that Bonnie was about to attack. Because in the game, the doors stop working when Bonnie or Chica are inside the office with you. So then he woke up and all of it was a dream. But a lot of the fans think that those nightmares are what were the inspiration for Five Nights at Freddy's 4 because it takes place in a child's bedroom having to fight nightmare animatronics from coming into your bedroom. So that's why it's the spookiest game to me. Uh, It's very scary. I I can barely watch it because it's very... Ooh, it's it's a lot. That's a good thing to know. You know, me and Geraldine have considered making like a little short horror film in the past Mm -hmm. and just like... I had never considered that, you know, obviously Scott Coffin here got nightmares over his own 
creation. Yeah, you know? yeah, so he that, did. It's yeah. a possibility. Yeah, so he found them spooky too. Um, we have Chica, who is the backup singer in Food, Food Extraordinaire. Um, in the later game called Ultimate Custom Night, there is a withered Chica who is just like a prototype version of Chica who's very old and dilapidated. And she, it, they all have voice lines in this game. And her voice line oh. is, I was the first. I have seen everything. So from there, it's been interpreted that the child that was killed and inhabits Chica possesses her was the first child killed during the missing children's incident. So that's some interesting lore about her. That is also very sad. Yeah, it is very sad. And then we also have Carl the Cupcake, who is Chica's <laughs> little cupcake friend. He, in the original games, was never actually like a character at all. It wasn't until FNAF 4 when he became like a nightmare image of like clamping in your face. Yeah, but he didn't have a name for the longest time, but fans started referring to him as Carl the Cupcake, and eventually it was adopted into canon by Scott Cawthon. And... It's kind of assumed that Carl is more of an extension of Chica than his own sentient entity. We don't really think that Carl is possessed. He's just kind of a part of Chica. That's really funny because Patrick made a joke about that. He was like, bro, imagine being killed and only like like being made into the cupcake. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be sad. Like just only part of you. Well, just the, imagine it's like the head of some kid. Yeah. The cupcake has the most mobility though out that of is, all of them. So. No, Foxy does. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Foxy be running. Which Mm-mm. Foxy is our next one. Um, of course, we already talked about how he was the first animatronic to kind of stop working. And he's out of order in the original game. That's why you have to keep checking on him. Because his curtains are closed, mm-hmm. right? And it says out of order. But eventually his curtains open and you have to keep an eye on him. And he runs incredibly fast. And I just learned earlier today, actually, that there's some lore. I don't know how canonical this is, but it's what everybody thinks is hinted to happening. Um, Chica is almost always seen with her mouth open. Mm-hmm. Freddy usually hides in the shadows. Bonnie is the most aggressive, and Foxy runs really fast. And that's how people think that the children died oh. during the missing children's incident, mm. which is Chica was screaming, Freddy was hiding, Bonnie was fighting, and Foxy was running. That's so sad. It is really sad. I don't like it. Yeah, but it does add a lot of character to these animatronics who didn't have any character in the first game. Yeah, honestly. and it's in the video game. Honestly, it's still just such a small like way to give some characterism and mannerisms mm-hmm. to the characters. Yeah, and just the small little ways of how they because they in the video games they don't all act the same. No, no. they, they don't. all have they have, have their, their own quirks. Chica likes to hang out in the kitchen and bang pots and pans. Yeah, and. That's actually where we get to see Chica kill somebody is in the kitchen. And then Bonnie loves to hang out in his supply closet. And that's where he gets to kill somebody is in his supply closet. So, you know, that's some really interesting stuff there. Um, A lot of people believe that making the animatronics real for this movie, like physical animatronics, which there are, and then also animatronics, which ironically have people stuffed in them to act, was not only ironic, but kind of blasphemous because it seems like it's kind of, inviting something terrible to happen in real life. People mm. have been really worried about it. It's kind of like the Jurassic Park effect. Did we learn nothing from Jurassic Park? What do you mean? Uh, th- that's just like a joke online. People are... Because there's always like this whole like, oh, we took mammoth DNA and we're going to make a mammoth in real life and clone it and stuff like that. Oh, and people are like, I see. did we learn nothing from Jurassic Park? 
I see. Yeah. I, I can see the concern there because I yeah. recently learned that um, after the first Scream movie, these people were like fascinated by it and they made their own movie, Killing People, IRL. Yeah. Exactly. So I can. So, so it plays yes, off it, that idea. it can inspire that, but that doesn't mean that it necessarily like the stories are. It's like violent video games. Yeah. Just because you play violent video games does not mean that every person's going to go out and be violent. Just no. because some people like to like crash cars in GTA or beat people up and stuff doesn't mean they're going to actually do right, it IRL. Right. You know. Exactly. I don't know. I just think it's silly to be that of like. I mean, I, I, I can I can see the concern, and I'm not like saying that they shouldn't be concerned. Like, have that concern. Listen to it, pay attention to it because it means something. Yeah. But like, don't live so much there because then it's just gonna drive you crazy. Right. Because I mean, I think it's really cool, but there's also people who are afraid of things that are scary in general yeah. too. They're like, oh, you have all these scary things in your house. You're inviting this bad energy, and like, that's not bitch, how it works. No. <laughs> no. No. But fans make jokes all the time that, like, oh, they can't make a real Freddy Fazbear's pizza because then a bunch of kids are going to get murdered. Oh, they've made the real animatronics now. It's only a moment of time before they start acting on their own, getting real quirky at night. <laughs> Please, God, no. <laughs> I actually have a clip about Emma Tammy talking about some ways that the animatronics are a little quirky. Fuck no. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, Emma, what do you think is so unintentionally creepy about animatronics Ooh, you know it's it's i think it lies in the space between them being alive and not, not alive we are kind of controlling them whether they've been programmed or in our case we had puppeteers you know doing all of the animations off screen but every now and then they'll do something on their own and or like an imperfection will just pop up and they've got a personality all to themselves and I think it's that that like soul for lack of a better word that they end up inhabiting that is so eerie and amazing and wild and at times friendly you know it, it's it's all the things and you're always on your toes because you don't know what side of it you're gonna get absolutely not <laughs> absolutely not Kill him dead now. <laughs> but so I wonder how quirky the animatronics were getting on set. Yeah. Um, what do you think you could say on set? <laughs> no. Yeah. If like one of them started, you know, moving a little bit. I'll piss my pants right then and there. <laughs> and then everyone would be like, oh, she pissed her pants. Like, but what about the animatronic? You know? Yeah. Oh, God, no. <laughs> so that's most of the animatronics covered and how silly, goofy, scary they are. Um, so now we can move on to the real life actors um we have josh hutcherson who plays mike schmidt who is the protagonist of the first game emma tammy also had some very nice things to say for, about him in a clip so i'll go ahead and get that played real quick but to turn to the human element as you mentioned this is a very human story and could you talk about for instance what josh brought to the project as our heroic security guard yeah, I mean, Josh is like such an authentic performer, and I think he really looks to find the truth in every character and every situation. And the fact that he embodied the role of Mike in such a grounded way, I think really helps us as the audience like traverse this wild, crazy world uh, through the eyes of someone that we can really relate to. And um, he just did an incredible job. He also, coming from being a child actor himself, was just completely connected to the actor who played his his younger sister, Abby. Um, 
So the two of them had amazing chemistry and and I think that that's really the heart of what this this movie is, is, is that relationship. Oh, so I love that clip, just talking about how Josh Hutcherson and Piper Rubio, who plays Abby, his younger sister, got along really well on set. Um, Josh Hutcherson did such a great job as Mike. He was very compelling, very fun, very relatable. Just the entire time, I thought he did a f- fantastic, amazing job. And I agree. Piper I, really Rubio, does. I think, also did a really good job. Child actor. She she wasn't weird or. I'm like, always impressed by me. good child yeah. actors. I'm always yeah. like, how do they do it? She did the a great children. job. It's yeah. hard to like get kids to like focus. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, to like have them do a full length feature film like yeah. this and to like stay yeah. in character. Right. How do they do it? Yeah, I can't exactly. do it. I don't know. Yeah. I think I have full faith that my niece could do it. <laughs> She's so, she's so theatrical. I would love to make like horror films and put her in them. Right. Yeah. Both as like a, a kid being scared and the kid scaring people. <laughs> so you want to traumatize your niece? Yes, I do. <laughs> Essentially. We also have Elizabeth Lale who plays Vanessa, a police officer. Yeah. One of the most oh. interesting characters in the entire movie. Later on, it's revealed that she is actually the daughter of a mass serial killer. I was shook by that. Yeah. I was very shook. Everybody was shook by that. Vanessa is a character in the most recent Security Breach game. Nobody really knew why she was super significant other than she was a security officer and kind of an antagonist. But in this movie, they directly link her to the big bad William Afton by saying that she is his daughter definitively in the movie series. So my biggest concern with this storyline, like, first of all, you know your daddy's a killer. Yeah. You you become a police officer, which is already whatever. You're an accomplice of murder, babe. Oh, she definitely she is. Knows, yeah. I, I think it's pretty obvious. They never stated overtly, but I think it's pretty obvious that Vanessa has been the one cleaning up for all of the murders that's been happening at Five Nights or at Freddy's. She's a part of it, for sure. Yeah, the trauma. definitely. <laughs> yeah. We see, I mean, there there's a moment where, of course, there's a break-in at... Freddy's people get killed Vanessa is the one that finds it because she comes up to Mike later that day and is like hey there was a break-in didn't you know that but when Mike goes back to the break-in there's no blood anywhere besides on the security door but the rest of the blood has been washed away so I really do think that Vanessa has been going there every single day making sure that nobody's dead and if they are she cleans it up and takes care of it that's so weird so she's an accomplice absolutely but she was also groomed into yeah. doing that. So. But also, I mean, she became a cop, I guess, to kind of keep keep yeah. that, that stuff under wraps. Yeah. But is she even to do? Is she even a real cop? We don't know. Oh. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. So. But I love Elizabeth Lale. She was in the You series from oh, Netflix yeah. and ah, uh, she's just a great actress. She was also in another like quirky, like not amazing film, but I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun called Countdown. It was about mm-hmm. like an app that tells you when you're going to die. It was oh. the second time we've talked about that film yeah. on no, the podcast. We talked about a different one. Oh, there's another one. Yeah, Time, uh, I think it was In Time with Amanda Seyfried and Justin Timberlake. Mm. That one was another countdown to when you're going to die, but those people were buying time. It was about like okay. different classes. This one was strictly about like an app on your phone and some people just die sooner than others okay i see very fun movie though yeah very fun yeah but she did a fantastic job she was like you want to feel 
connected to her and feel mm-hmm. bad about her. You can see that she definitely has an internal emotional struggle, but at the same time, you're like, something's a little fishy. Something's mm-hmm. a little fishy about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's kind of, she gets stabbed by her own father at the end of the movie and is left in a coma. And we're not entirely sure how it's going to turn out. Is she going to become like a, another murderer in the future? Or is she going to turn good completely and be on Mike's side? It's kind of up in the air. We don't know how it's going to go, but I'm, in, I'm excited to see what they do with her in the future. I'm excited as well. I mean, given the, the iconic role that just came out of this movie that I'm assuming is a reference directly to the video games, don't know, was the I always come back line. Yes, yes. I was curious about this because I'm like, okay, so does he die and like come back to life? Die and come back to life? Is he like alive? theoretically like what 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 is this in reference to because i'm curious personally because i do have a theory that if he does come back what if he snags his daughter from the coma puts her in an animatronic suit maybe i mean you could argue that that might be why vanessa is so afraid of her father is because she knows that all these kids were put into animatronic suits so she's worried if she doesn't obey her father she might be shoved into one too so, so stressful. Could you imagine <laughs> literally you know your dad killed a bunch of kids and you have to grow up as a child knowing that he could do the same thing to you? You know what? Terrifying. My biggest question is, how'd she make the cut? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the wicked parts of the film for me, or the most wicked, is when you see during all the flashbacks, the what, Garrett? Yeah, Garrett. Yeah. Uh, Mike's, Mike's brother, brother is holding like this, this is a toy airplane. Yeah. And then later towards the end of the film... You see a picture of a young Vanessa with and her father. What, what toy is she holding? Yeah, the red that airplane. airplane. It's it's it makes your gut drop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just it's terrifying. That was like a trophy. Yeah. That Afton took and gave to his daughter of a kid that he, he presumably, presumably. That makes me killed. have questions though. Like we don't see Garrett in the movie. What, did he just get killed and he was just like a killed kid? We don't or know. Is he hidden? Because I know that Patrick said he, during his investigation after watching the movie, he said that he learned that there were many different fran- like many different restaurants. So yes. was he an animatronic in a different one? I'd like Maybe. to know. Yeah, we, we've got some theories that we can talk about towards yeah. the end. Oh, okay. Uh, nothing set in stone, so we don't know what's going to happen. Scott Cawthon is well known to backtrack a lot on his lore and retcon or just change names and genders and things like that and that might be what's happening here so we'll see but to finish off our main cast we have to talk about matthew lillard yeah he plays steve raglan oh i'm sorry william afton Ah. dun 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 are big bad now i knew going into the movie that matthew lillard it, it was assumed i mean that he was going to play the bad guy he pretty much confirmed in early um TikToks and things like that with fans that he was going to be playing william afton the serial killer but i can only imagine that a lot of people went into this movie maybe not knowing that he was going to be the big bad at the end how did you I feel did, i didn't well i okay i you can kind of tell sometimes when movies do yeah. like the fun predictability thing. Yeah. So whenever it was revealed, I was still like, oh, no, not Matthew Lillard. But I also was like, okay, yeah. that kind of makes sense, like yeah. how he reacted it's earlier. It's not a so huge it, secret. It's not no. a huge secret. It did come full circle. But as soon as I reacted like that, Patrick did not give me a moment to breathe. And he was like, I saw that coming. I was like, 
shut up, dude. Yes, <laughs> it's Matthew I did, Lillard. But I also didn't want to believe it. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. there for the hype. But know? he does yeah. so well. He does so well playing any character. Love him. He so. really does. He he does such a good job. So now we don't know how the character of William Afton suddenly became a career coach named Steve Raglan. <laughs> Maybe it's a false identity thing. Maybe his police officer daughter helped him fake some records and give him a fake name. We don't know. But lore-wise, it's a little muddy. But at the end, we get William Afton, so it doesn't matter. So Afton is by far one of the most in one of the most important characters in the entire FNAF game series. However, we don't actually get his name in any of the games from FNAF one through three. I think he's not mentioned by name in the first game. He's not mentioned at all. You there's like. The only way that you know that there's any kind of lore in the first FNAF game is that every once in a while there will be newspapers on the wall that will glitch in and they have a missing children's incident like five children went missing at the Five Nights or at the Freddy's Pizzeria and that's it. That's all the lore in the first game. In the second game there's some mini games that show a purple guy. It's just very pixelated like an old Atari game. But it shows an old, it shows a purple pixelated guy killing kids. Okay, that's our big bad, right? In the third game, we get more mini games, and there's also this weird yellow rabbit walking around. So the third game for Geraldine, she doesn't know, it's actually a haunted house oh! based off of the Freddy's Pizzeria. So it has a bunch of hallucinations that are not real and supposed to look like really gross, gory animatronics. However, one of them is real, and it's a yellow springlock bonnie suit. So that is our first official introduction to William Afton in the games, but we don't actually get his name or his backstory until the books come out, the Silver Eyes trilogy. That's crazy. Have you read any of the books? I have not. I'm too scared to read them. However, Matt Pat reads them for me. Okay. So, but apparently this movie is actually more similar to the Silver Eyes book than it is to the video games. Mm. So that's really interesting. There's a graphic novel out. I might check that out. Okay, because I I would be kind of interested to read the little books. I don't know how many there are. I imagine there's probably a lot between the two. So there's a lot of books. It depends on what series you're reading. There's the the Silver Eyes trilogy, which is three books, which all have graphic novels now, I believe. There's the Fazbear Frights, which are short stories that are kind of related, kind of unrelated to the stories, but have a bunch of spooky animatronics in it, uh, killing kids. And then there's... Tales from the Pizzaplex, which are like a continuation of the Fazbear Frights, but take place specifically around the Pizzaplex in Security Breach. Mm. So there's a lot. It's yeah. very confusing, but the Silver Eyes trilogy seems to be kind of what they're mostly inspired by for the movie. Yeah. Oh man, I don't want to go to Books a Million or Barnes uh, Noble during this. <laughs> I will say I'm I'm a bit biased. So if if anybody out there listening to this wants some more lore, I like the way I did it. Just watching the MadPat video. Yeah, it, and there's it's a the playlist. There's a playlist. Um, that goes from like his first one to his latest one, and it's called his channel is called Game Theory, and mm-hmm. you can just go there and he'll lay it out for you video by video. Uh, every like few videos, he'll do like a, a new timeline, so mm-hmm. he goes back and puts it all like so you can see chronologically how things happened. Yeah, yeah. So okay. it's it's also up in the air, but MatPat is pretty much the definitive like this is what the lore is right now. So if you want to know what the lore is right now, you got to watch MatPat's videos and figure it out. Okay. But something that I thought was really interesting about Michael, Michael, about William Afton being introduced in this movie is when you finally see him as the big bad 
in his big yellow bunny suit. He does. He has a knife, and he does a really cool motion with it that actually mirrors something Ghostface does in the very first Scream movie. Which, if you know, you know Matthew Lillard was Stu Mocker, one of the Ghostface killers in the very first movie. So that was a really nice That's a nod. Good catch because I didn't even notice that. I've got That's some so gifts fun. Um, that hopefully we can include on the video, but um, I've got them here for Geraldine to see. That's wonderful. The combination, you get that nice motion. Yeah. So that so is satisfying. Awesome. And of course, there is a lot more lore and characters that we could talk about in the movie and what they might mean, but we're going to not delve super deep into that so we don't have a three hour long podcast episode. But I will play a clip for you guys real quick about lore and theories and how they implemented them into the movie. All right. Did you find yourself diving as much into maybe the fan theories and all the kind of uh, crowdsourced lore that's been built around this franchise? Yeah, you know, that is so vast. So vast. Um, And Scott Cawthon, um, the creator of the game, was very specific about, you know, wanting to link this movie to the first game. And I was getting the direct download from him in terms of what elements of the lore we were, you know, going to be folding into our story for the movie. And and so I, I did dip into that fan space a little bit, but I also tried to stay focused um, on the elements that I knew we were diving into. So I just really appreciate Emma Tammy talking about how Scott Cawthon wanted this to strictly just be game one or first book of the Silver Eyes trilogy and not go too deep into anything else because in my opinion that just made it a little bit more of a neat little bow. They, they didn't make it too messy with introducing more animatronics, more characters, more lore or anything like that. They kept it very... Very straight and narrow, and I appreciate that for focused idea, focused vision. Yes, yes, very focused, and it's not perfect, but it is really great compared to how we usually get our lore. Cherry picking. All right, I do like it. One of the things that I really love about the movie is that there are so many Easter eggs for the fans, and we know that Scott Cawthon specifically wanted there to be many for the fans to be able to pick up and choose and find throughout the film. I'm sure that there's so many that haven't even been found yet. There's too many to talk about, but I did cherry pick, or I did pick out a few for us to talk about today. So Matthew Lillard as William Afton was noted as giving the briefing for the security card position to Mike over the phone. So he was like, hey, you're gonna go in, the electricity's kind of shoddy, you know, you're gonna be doing all this stuff. That is a huge reference to the one of the first notorious theories that MatPat in all of the community ever did, and that was the purple guy is phone guy theory. So for people who may not know, like you two, I'm going to show you the original William Afton, which is just a few purple pixels. And as you can see, he looks like his hand is a phone, holding it out like a phone. Yeah, so people really thought that this guy was Phone Guy, and you guys played the first game, so I'm sure that you remember Phone Guy. He was the guy that gave you all of your directions and tutorials. He said that he was going to see you on the flip side, and Matthew Lillard also said that in the movie. He said, catch you on the flip side, which is really cool. Yeah, so there's a lot of references to that particular theory, which I love. That was like the first big theory that really made FNAF, I think, just 
huge, ginormous. Yeah, I remember. The purple guy is foam guy. guy. Yeah. And we didn't have any names for any of these characters yet. It's so much Just fun. Just purple guy. Yeah. So there is a cold open for this movie where we see a security card who presumably gets killed in the security office. Um, that particular scene has been confirmed to have been the original scene that Markiplier was supposed to star in. So there's a lot of YouTuber cameos in this movie. Again, because of Scott Cawthon, we appreciate him appreciating the YouTubers who made Five Nights at Freddy's popular. Yeah. Markiplier was supposed to be in this beginning scene and die at the hand of the animatronics. However, he was actually filming his own movie called Iron Lung. It's also a horror movie that hopefully we'll cover on the podcast when it comes out. But he was filming at the exact same time as the Five Nights at Freddy's movie and unfortunately was not able to get the schedules to align. But hopefully that means that we'll see him in the next movie because all the fans desperately want to see him there. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Speaking of that first security officer or security guard, um, when Michael finds a training tape inside of the security office that helps give him further training, it says Mike on the VHS, but behind it, it says Fritz. And Fritz was actually the first character that you play in Five Nights at Freddy's 2, who was fired from the location for tampering with the animatronics and foul odor. So that was just a nice little <laughs> sort of callback. MatPat was also in this movie, which is by far the biggest gaslighting that anybody in the fandom has ever experienced. Uh, MatPat said earlier this year that he was not invited while a bunch of other YouTubers were to film and have cameos for this movie. And he was not, however, as a surprise to literally everyone, our, our theater freaked out. Matt Pat was in this movie yeah. and he even got to say, it's just a theory. So that yeah. was awesome. His catchphrase. Yeah. His catchphrase. Yeah. Did he it's say just that? a theory. Yeah. He said, lunch is the most important meal of the day. And they were like, oh, what? we thought that that was breakfast. And he was like, yeah, some people say that. But, you know, it's just a theory. Uh, okay, yeah, it was funny. great. It was awesome. He actually said um, in a recent video that he made that Scott wanted him to say it in his usual tenation, which I don't know if you know Geraldine, but he goes, that's just a theory. A game theory is how he says it every single episode. So they wanted him to say, that's just a theory in the movie. But then the production people were like, that's a little too much. No, Fair. you need to tone it down. So he's like, it's I just like the theory. subtleness because it's like a fun <laughs> little, like, like giving, giving yeah. things to the fans. But to me, as just a watcher, I was like, why is I remember you? Yeah, yeah and an I'm actor. just like, Whoa, yeah. if you know, you know. Yeah, he gaslit us so hard. It was awesome. It, it was, was sad. Really, like, you showed yeah. me a video earlier about him talking about it. It's like, yeah, I, 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 I'm not in the movie, guys. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's like, I was really frustrated. So these guys got to go and meet Scott Cawthon. I haven't been able to meet him in eight years. Meanwhile, he was there on the first day of filming. He was the first thing that they filmed was with Matt Pat. So That's he's really a funny. liar, but I love him for it. Um, another cool fact is that he works at a diner called Sparky's. Um, Sparky's mm. is Sparky the dog was a popular fan hoax where one of a fan photoshopped their own handmade or their own personal animatronic character into the game and tried to sell it as a real secret glitch that can happen in the game. It wasn't true, but that was a nice nod from Scott for the creator of that particular hoax. And you can actually see a Sparky animatronic later in the movie, too, when a bunch of people get killed. Okay, And that dog, that dog animatronic might also be a reference to Fetch from the Fazbear Frights books. Very cool. 
There's, of course, a lot of other YouTuber cameos, like Corey Kenshin being the cab driver I for Abby later him. on. And then Daco, Fusion Z Gamer, 8-Bit Ryan, and more appear on the Employee of the Month poster outside of the security office. That's so cool. That yeah. is cool. I didn't catch that one. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, of course, Daco and a few other creators got to be behind the scenes and actually meet the Animatronics 101, which is awesome. Mike carries around a book called Dream Theory, which relates to the entire plot of the movie and is a direct reference to one of the earlier theories after Five Nights at Freddy's 4 came out, um, which was that everything in the first three games was a dream of a child who was in a coma from being bit at the original Five Nights at Freddy's location. So that was a really interesting theory that's not true, we don't think, but it was a really, really nice nod to have the entire movie basically inspired by that theory. That was yeah. really awesome. That is really cool. Chica and Carl the Cupcake kill a character who is ironically named Carl in the script <laughs> um, in the kitchen, like we said, which is Chica's favorite place. And Bonnie kills somebody in the supply closet. Foxy also gets to kill somebody in his iconic hallway doing his little rum run and doing the dum diddly dum dum ding little hum that he does. There's a scene where Foxy is searching for Abby in the arcade, which is a direct reference to the opening sequence of the Silver Eyes novel, where the main character, Charlie, is hiding from Foxy in an arcade. Hate that. <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying. And immediately when I saw it, I was like, that's a reference to that book. Cool. I Like, I know that. There's a spring lock suit that Chica tries to stuff Abby into at some point, and it was designed specifically from Scott Cawthon to look like Ella, a doll from the original, or from the third Fazbear Frights novel. And that might also be a reference to Baby, because Abby's name is an anagram of Baby, and Circus Baby is a very important character later on in the sister location games and moving forward. I So I did recognize this one because I follow this person who makes like animatronic stuff and they're making one of this character where mm -hmm. like her entire yeah. face opens up. Yeah. So terrifying. Yeah, they're spooky. So I would love to see you guys play sister location too. I just want you guys uh, to play all of the games, yeah. honestly. I, I remember... <laughs> I love Sister, Sister Location is one of the most it's, important it's, ones. It's one of the ones that has the most, it has a storyline, Yeah, when that, when that game came out, it kind of rejuvenated my interest it did. in yeah. the franchise. It's it's really important to the game series, and I'm hopefully we get to see it in the movies. I would love cool. to. Yeah, it was There's already so cool. a good name for a movie. And William Abden gets to say his iconic line, I always come back before he gets spring locked. Cheers in the Yeah, audience. everybody yeah. cheered. He got to say his he got to say his line. So William Afton shows up after the third FNAF game. He's pretty much present in almost every game except for Sister Location where he's only mentioned. Um, but he always comes back in some way or another. Um, so it was really awesome to see him sort of come to terms with that. That means that we can almost guarantee that we're going to see Matthew Lillard in future movies, um, hopefully as a decaying spring lock or spring trap, as we affectionately call the character in the games. It was also awesome to see Matthew Lillard get spring locked because that is a very important part of the games, is getting to see the spirits of the missing children take action against William Afton and he gets killed in the Springlock Bonnie suit that he killed them in. But a lot of fans were worried that we weren't going to get the Springlock scene in this movie just because it's the first FNAF movie. We didn't know how much of William Afton we were going to see. 
Um, but we get to see him get springlocked and it is wild and it is awesome and it is great. He starts writhing, which is inspired by the pixelated sequence that we get in the games. Um, and it's done so well. There's also a trailer, I think, for Five Nights at Freddy's 3, I believe, where you get to see him writhing in 3D that maybe I'll pull up after the episode is done so you guys can see but they made some real real good parallels with the games and also with the silver eyes graphic novel where you can see in the movie after he gets spring locked he gets dragged away into a supply closet by all of the animatronics which is exactly what happens in the graphic novel for the silver eyes is he gets spring locked and dragged away so that was just really cool. I like how they kind of mesh things together here and how they do an homage to not just the games, but also the novels. At the end of the credits, we hear an Atari voice spell out the word, come find me. So we don't know if that's William Afton saying come find me or maybe a potential future character that we yeah. haven't gotten seen. So we're super excited and to see where that goes. And there's... Just a bunch more Easter eggs that I am not even going to cover because this has gone on for too long already. No, fine. But I did have a couple of closing questions for you guys before we end. What did you guys think was the scariest part of the movie? Balloon Boy. Balloon Boy. Yeah, you <laughs> screamed. He screamed genuinely the first time Balloon Boy showed up because um, he's another cameo in this movie. Um, it's a jump scare. I would argue our only real jump scare in the movie and but he did it like at least twice yeah he did it twice in a mid credit scene he also shows up but he frankie just jumped and screamed because it was Multiple scary times it was it yeah was scary. It, was hilarious. It, was, it was awesome i loved it you think you would have learned by the first time but no it just got <laughs> it just got funnier each time what, what about you, you Jalen? Yeah. the scariest part mm, i would dare say it is probably just like them moving on their own and yeah, stuff. And I'm yeah. like, no, no. I was expecting one of you to say like, oh, when Foxy's running down the hallway that, or yeah. oh, when Freddy chomps down on that girl. Oh, no, that, was, I, that was so cool to that look was so at. It was, it was so well right done. Right before a hand just comes out, a child's that, hand. That is probably the scene that's going to stick with me the most. It was just so well done. It just looks so artful. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Done. And you know, now that kid's body is in there or a kid's body is in there yeah so yeah. that wasn't a real hand it's like a phantom hand but the kid's actual body's in that animatronic that's wild yeah uh i, th I think actually the scariest part of the movie is like knowing the story yeah yeah i mean just the story behind it all is just so messed up it's messed up it's a realistic one yeah, yeah. like about children being kidnapped yeah and then just murdered for no reason yeah i hate it I have yeah hate so it. it's awful but in it makes you want to watch the movies i yeah. feel like and and find out the story about why did this happen yeah mm -hmm. will they ever be free from this living hell that they're this stuck movie in? is so surface level we yeah. don't know why afton's done it we don't know about afton's family we don't know what's exactly going on. yeah, yeah. I have which questions. we think that we have lore from the games and the books that tell us a little bit more of why but nothing set in stone, so the movies can have some room to sort of figure it out as they go, which I really appreciate, actually. Was there a part that made you guys laugh the most or that you enjoyed the most in general? Uh, a couple of Corey Kenshin's jokes. Yeah. yeah. Me up. Corey Kenshin was a great addition. I'm, I'm really glad that he got to have a speaking role. I'm glad as well because my my brother showed me several of his like like gameplays before, so I knew he had very funny reactions, so I was like, oh, I did know that he was going to be in it because... I told my brother that I was going to go see it in theaters, and he was like, oh, do you see Corey Kenshin's going to be in it? I was like, I didn't know that. Very cool. 
Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's like the taxi driver. So then when I saw it, I was like, okay, I yeah. know who this is. Yeah. And so that was, uh, he was definitely one of the greater parts of the movie. Other than that, I I think, not really a laughing thing, but I was just the most shocked that Mary Stuart Masterson was in this movie. She's mm-hmm. iconic for her movies like She's in the, the 80s. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. She's iconic for movies in like the 80s. Like she was in a movie called Fried Green Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my absolute, absolutely favorite films by John Hughes called uh, Some Kind of Wonderful. Uh. Mm-hmm. So seeing her in this movie, I was like, oh my yeah. God. First of all, she looks great for her she age. She also did a great job. She she, did. she made me hate her. Yeah. So that was very well done. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, just the movie was so good. There were a lot of good laughable moments, but yeah. I think it, yeah, it was just fun. Yeah. Do you guys have a favorite scene? A favorite scene, probably that kid raising his hand. Out yeah, of- it's just so well done. I unfortunately it was in the trailer, at least the hand reaching yeah. out. So I do think the trailers kind of put a little too much out there, but I understand why mm-hmm. they my, wanted to get people. My warm favorite fans. scene is actually them building the fort. That was a great scene. That is a controversial scene. A lot of original fans are really upset that that scene happened because it makes the kids, it, it makes the animatronics feel less scary. But in my opinion, I think it's a brilliant way to show that it, it, they are just kids. They're yeah. permanently a kids. A lot of people have a theory, at least, that I've seen online as well, because it's everywhere on my timelines, um, that it was them buttering them all up to make them think that, you know, oh, like we're harmless, but really they're after Abby the whole time. Potentially. I, don't think so. I, I think it's more, I think it's a mix of multiple things, right? We know that Afton is technically able to influence them, mm-hmm. but Afton didn't know that Abby existed. Yeah. Right? I, and I also think the reason they want to kill Abby is to play with Abby. Yeah. I yeah. think that that's, again, another childlike thing is they think that they want Abby to be like them because they want an eternal friend. Yeah. But really, we know Afton is trying to influence them so he can get another child killed. Mm-hmm. Right? But... It's really interesting how complex it is when you really think about it, but it's not overt in the movie, so yeah. it can be interpreted in multiple ways. But yeah, overall, it was such a cute, wholesome scene. Yeah. I loved it. And then Bonnie falls over, and they're like, are you good? He's like... Oh. Yeah, it was just cute. It's so funny, and it's so cute. I really enjoy it. Do you think that there's anything that the movie could improve upon? For me, it's simply just like the... I think this movie did what it needed to do. Yeah. I think in future iterations, we can get a little more complicated yeah. with the storytelling. I agree. Maybe hop around a couple of different either timelines mm-hmm. or just perspectives. Yeah, a lot of people were thinking, or a lot of people theorized that there was actually supposed to be flashbacks of the original pizzeria as it was Ooh. in the 80s and super popular because okay. there's some behind-the-scenes shots of... The pizzeria filled with the animatronics moving and with actors filling up the scene and children and stuff like that. And that might have just been for the VHS training tape. But in my opinion, I think it would be really cool if they were planning on or already filmed some flashbacks to include in future movies. I would love that. Okay, so that's kind of what I was going to say with um, I would love to see a future film of like Freddy Fazbear's before it all happened or yeah. as it was happening yeah. mm-hmm. because that would be really cool to see it and in so action. creepy it would be so much as like yes. as creepy as this movie was with the animatronics imagine how creepy it would be to see Afton in the yellow bunny suit luring these kids away yeah, yeah. seeing the missing children's incident yeah. happen that yeah. would be that terrifying would be, it would be very terrifying yeah. I also would just love to know more about like William Afton and like what led him to this and like yeah. to see the little girl like his daughter 
like know about this yeah. and stuff yeah. and how it's impacting that her. could be a whole tv show with it like several be. episodes it really could be it really could be and i'm i'm just curious about it because like i also want to see like the different locations and stuff like what was happening at those other locations like was he just going like hopping locations like like what was happening i just want to know everything so it was just, yeah yeah ah, so, so crazy. i really think that this movie franchise has an opportunity to give us some really fulfilling lore information that we haven't been able to get in the books or in the games yet because the books and the games are kind of meant to be like a search and find put the clues together kind of a thing and movies can be that way but they're also they already seem to be kind of like explicit yeah they have to be a little bit more explicit so the audience members can catch up yeah to what they're saying in just one showing you know and i i really think they have an opportunity to get really deep and dark and gritty and really delve into the characters Mm -hmm. that we don't get to see as much information about in some of the earlier games. Something that I think that I really wish I could have seen a little bit more of is him going through the cameras. I mean, that's not like, that's really small because, but that's just such a big part of the first game. Like you're literally just sitting in there looking at the cameras and stuff. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think that would have been a lot creepier too, to have it kind of set up Mm -hmm. that, you know, the animatronics are moving and he doesn't realize it. That's a built in jump scare too. Yeah. It it really really is. is. As soon as you look at it and then they're there and then the woman and you look away and they're, they're not, oh my God, what? Like, it's just crazy and creepy. So, but fortunately, you know, in, in future movies, looking at security cameras is important for every single game. So that means that hopefully in future movies, maybe whether we still have Mike or if we have other protagonists come up as an anthological series, hopefully we get to see a lot of security footage in the future and maybe get to see it utilized in a way where it's a little more important to the story than it was here where they were focusing more on dreams. Right. Um, They really had to show you these children Mm -hmm. so you knew the ghost children were possessing the characters and so on and so forth. But now that we know that, we should be able to skip ahead and just be like, look at these creepy animatronics on the right. on the cameras, you know? And then my last question for you guys is, who's your favorite animatronic? Mm. Mm. So we got five to pick from. Yeah. For me, I gotta say, it's Golden Freddy. Mm, yeah, that was the only character that I didn't talk about because he's technically not technically. An is that the one that came that came to get Abby from the house? Yes. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. he was creepy as hell. Yeah. He was very creepy. So you guys actually saw Golden Freddy on your playthrough, which you we can did. watch on YouTube. Uh, you guys saw it on your first playthrough, which is crazy. It's crazy rare to see Golden Freddy, but he is one of the biggest mysteries of the entire franchise. And at this point in time, from what we can tell, he is possessed by the little blonde-haired kid. Okay. And a lot of the times, the spirit that takes control of Golden Freddy is referred to as the one he should not have killed. And is well known to be very aggressive and very aggressive towards Afton. And in a way, might even keep Afton alive because they want Afton to suffer. That's kind of the idea of the character. We don't know for sure if that's what's happening, but that's kind of implied from what we can tell in the games. So it's really interesting to see his character in the movie and how ambivalent he is. Like, he seems to understand that Afton is the bad guy, but none of the other animatronics know that because he tells you up front, like, oh, they don't remember what happened. He, obviously, we don't see the physical Golden Freddy animatronic until right there at the end. 
where he shows up at Abby's house, which is really weird. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of questions there. Yeah, and when Abby turns back to look at him after they're already there at the location, he disappears. He disappears. Yeah. I, I also hate noticed, that. I also noticed um, when Abby is playing with the animatronics for the first time, you know, Mike is freaking out because he just had a dream where he was talking to the little blonde-haired kid. And, you know, the blonde-haired kid leaves and... Mike wakes up and finds Abby playing with the animatronics and he's freaking out. But I realized in that particular dream, only the gold haired child was there. None of the other animatronics were or the other children were because they were playing with Abby. Mm. But he was the only one not playing with Abby because Golden Freddy wasn't there. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty interesting to me, but who's yours? Mm. I really like Chica. I also really like Chica. I love Chica. I think it's just also the the Carl cupcake thing. I, it's just kind of cute because she's already got <laughs> yeah. that let's eat kind of bib on. Yeah, love that. So it's, yeah. it's just perfect. It's all about the food. I, I, love, I love Chica. Yeah. I also love like love food, so I'm with the Chica. Yeah, I get it. I like all of them, man. I don't know. It's it's probably a toss up between Chica and Foxy. Yeah, Foxy's for me. the creepiest for me. I don't like Foxy just because he's creepy, but like he's kind of goofy to me. I think it's just creepy that he's just like, like whenever he's like on his way out. Yeah. The thing, like, yeah, terrifying. Yeah. Like playing the video game and seeing him run down the hallway when you get yeah. to that screen, immediately go to lock yeah, the door. You're ter- it's terrifying. I, I love I love all of them, though. They're all great. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate them. And of course, I don't know if it counts, but Springtrap. I, I love that guy. Springtrap. Yeah, he's spooky. He's scary. Okay, but... Yeah, that's creepy. He's one of the creepiest... When he, as soon as he walked out, I was like, oh, ugh. He kind of has to duck a little bit to get into the room. Yeah, the way that he walks out and he's like, ooh, who do we have here is so freaky. It, it's it's so well done. Matthew Lillard does a great job Yeah. at being creepy, at being he's anything, really. He's always been really. great on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he really has. So, It was a great movie. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that you guys enjoyed it. I did. Um, Despite varying levels of understanding the lore. But that's okay because, I mean, I feel like the surface level stuff is also fine because you you can grow, like, you have room to grow. If I were really that curious to delve into it, I would watch all the MatPat videos. But I also kind of like the mystery behind it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So. So... You know, I I think overall, if you don't know anything about this movie, you can go into it. Even if you watched this video or this podcast, you can probably go into the movie and enjoy yourself and have a lot of questions that were not answered in the movie. Oh, yeah. And have a lot to look forward to for future sequels, which Emma Tammy and Jason Blum have both said that they're very excited to potentially do sequels if it performs well. Which it did perform well, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, just Jason, opening weekend. Crazy. Yeah, just opening weekend, Matthew Lillard was signed on for three different FNAF movies, um, including this one. Damn. Emma Tammy said that she would love to direct future installments, and Jason Blum even stated that he hopes to make a bunch more. So maybe even more than three movies. Yeah. We'll see. Hopefully we get all the way up to the pizza plex. That'd be awesome. I I think it would be awesome. I I want to see sister location. I want to see the pizza plex. I want to see all of it. I want to see that creepy ass doll, like for sure, because she is terrifying. As soon as they showed her in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. When they showed her in the movie, I was like, ooh, she's creepy. I don't like her. I don't like her. All of the animatronics in sister location do that weird face thing. Oh, I don't like that. Oh, man. (laughs) And you get up close and personal with a couple of them. Yeah, the no. game is hard to play. Yeah. Like, you know, in, secu- in, the, in the FNAF game we played, it's all that security camera thing. Uh-huh. And that one, you have to, like, fix one of them. 
Yeah, you have to get up and close. Right in front of oh, them. Oh, yeah. my God. And in the game after that, you find a bunch of defunct, like, they've been scrapped, essentially, so they're missing parts, and they're all gross and grody looking. You get them, and you have to be up close and personal with them, too. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. FNAF 6. Oh, man. It means we'll have to play them. So that makes Yeah, sense. you guys will. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm excited to watch you guys play. But that pretty much wraps up our episode. Um, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thank you guys for catching us. We're on social medias at Fright Flight Pod. Yes. Uh, check out our new channel, Fright Risk, where we'll be uploading uh, scripted videos. We'll also be doing live streams. Um, we actually have something right next to you, Frankie, to kind of give people a precursor of what's to come on Fright Risk. We will be doing a unboxing of Dead by Daylight, the board game, a gameplay of it, and we'll even walk you through how to play it yourself at home if you are interested in buying it. That's right. We're going to be featuring gameplay. So like Five Nights at Freddy's yeah, gameplay. Yeah, maybe I can convince them to play the Five Nights at Freddy's games on live stream there. Yeah. That would be awesome. So, but that's all for me. I don't have anything else to say. I've chatted enough for this episode, <laughs> you know. Yeah, thanks everybody for catching us. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, thanks for catching us. Uh, keep watching and finish the year out with our holiday horror special like episodes yeah. that are super fun. We'll catch you next time, I guess. Yeah, see you Bye-bye. later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.